0: the very beginning of this chapter, as we look at the Father's forgiveness, that really is the focal point of this sermon. There's many other things that we could break out, but that's what God brought to me, the Father's forgiveness. If you've experienced it, it's incredible. If you haven't, don't leave here today without experience. Today can be your we look at the first seven verses really the first parable uh, of this is about the lost sheep but the first three verses kind of tell us where we're at and what's going on what Jesus is dealing with and really give us a basis for why he gave these parables in this sermon it starts in verse one uh, through three says now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him Jesus was preaching he was drawing crowds people wanted to know what he had to say what he had to say was a new thing and they wanted to hear it they were welcome and so as tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him now the Pharisees who always wanted to sit in the best seats and it says and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled always got a few of those right saying this man receives sinners and eats with them so he told them this parable you understand that Jesus realizes what's going on. He realizes he's dealt with the Pharisees. And we see him over and over and over again tweak them or or rebuke them, uh, anger them to the point that they tried to and eventually killed him. But Jesus loved them. He actually didn't hate them. He was trying to get their attention. Sometimes he's trying to get our attention. And here he is talking to them, and so he begins to give them parables to try to help them understand what's going on. I love it about Jesus. There couldn't have been a better preacher, pastor, whatever he was ever, and yet he spoke so simple that even I can understand it. I love that about Jesus. You know, I've listened to preachers, and I left, and I wondered what they talked about. You'll not have that problem this morning, okay? That's not the language I speak, so it starts in verse 4 through 7. It says, Jesus talking to them says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And brings together many questions. One of the things I want to point out, the the shepherds didn't live, live in cities. So when he found his sheep and he took it home, he didn't take it home to the city. He would have taken it back to the camp where he was with many other shepherds. And they would have rejoiced. They understood the problem of losing one of the the one of hundred and searching for it. And so he was with like-minded people uh, when he began to celebrate. But, man, there's a spiritual aspect of this that we don't want to miss. You begin to understand it. You see, when a sheep goes astray, when Jesus has a child that is astray, he has a sinner, someone who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, God feels the loss of the lost sinner. God feels the loss of those that are in sin. He's the one that feels it first. He's the one that loves the sinner, and His love is wounded. Have you ever had your heart broken? You might have to go clear back to your teenage years. Maybe it's just happened in the last few months, whenever and however. But the fact is, God experiences that wounded heart much more than we have. He gave much more for us than we've ever given for each other. God suffers more than the sinner In this separation, here is a sinner chasing their own will, going after their own way, looking for that thing to fulfill the whole in their life. And when we chase sin, that's what we experience. We keep looking. It takes more and more and farther and further. And God's the one that suffers during this time. He's looking for us. He's pursuing us. He's the shepherd out looking for us. And you know what I find amazing? When the shepherd finally found his sheep, he yanked it out of the area it was, beat it, and drove it back home. Somebody in the first service went, no. I'm telling you, no, that's not what happened. Jesus searches for us. And the shepherd here, when he found the sheep, gathered it in his arms would have picked the stuff out of its wool, fixed any wounds that it had, lovingly laid it across his shoulders. It didn't walk a step further. He carried it home when he had found the sheep. He, the shepherd, Jesus, carries us when we surrender to him and he finds us when we turn back to him. I love this, how the shepherd carried him back home on his shoulders. It brings to to mind a question, though, I want to ask you. Why not celebrate the 99 that didn't run off and get lost? Why do we celebrate the one that was found? He he had been unruly and run off. I understand we're glad to have him back home, but why not celebrate the 99 that didn't run off? I want you to hold that thought because I'm going to address it a little bit later in the sermon, uh, but I felt like it was worth bringing forward. Remember that. It brings us to the next parable, the parable of the lost coin. Now I want you to understand, there was, 90, there was 100 sheep. 99 of them stayed and one was lost, and the shepherd went to get the one. Now we're looking at a woman who has lost a coin. She had 10 silver coins and she's lost them. And what uh, lost one of them? In verses 8 through 10, it says, Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoicing with me, saying Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Understand, we're valuable to God. We are valuable to God. He places great value on us. In fact, if you read the Bible, it says, the value of one soul is worth more than the whole world. The thought came to me as I was preparing this, just out of the blue, if I went up and down every aisle, And talk to every one of you. Every one of us, under the sound of my voice, right now, has something you would like to buy and you can't afford it. I'll guarantee you there is something in your life you'd like to buy right now. It might not be a great priority, but I could find something you want to buy and you can't afford it right now. Take just the value of that. How, How much value that would have. Imagine every other church, every city, everywhere in the United States and then start around the world and what the value of this world is, man-made. It's incredible. I mean, I, I don't even know that they can actually put an accurate number and yet your soul is more valuable than all of it. More valuable than all of it. That's the value that God, has placed on our souls, each and every one. And so when one is found, one soul is saved, it says that there is joy before the angels of God. I think it's really important that we take a look at this because we understand that in heaven there is constant rejoicing, that the angels worship God all the time. There is always music. There is always noise. There is always something going on. But when a sinner kneels at a place of prayer or going down the road or in there, when a sinner reaches out to God and begins to turn his life to him, things change in heaven. It's not the angels that are doing the singing now. It says that there is rejoicing before the angels, That tells me that God is the one that's doing the rejoicing. You see, Jesus died for us. God paid the ultimate price. He cleaned out heaven. He bankrupted heaven for us. And when Jesus died for us, what a price was paid. And God rejoices when a sinner comes home. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Man, this morning is your morning. God is in the place. He wants to meet your need. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And God is ready to meet your need. We are valuable. We are so valuable. And in this context, Jesus continues on with his sermon, making the point that God is pursuing us, constantly God is pursuing. He loves us beyond anything that we can comprehend. You and I can't understand why a third of the God, the triune God, would come to earth and die for a wretched people like us, like me. I I will never understand that. I am thankful for it. I've accepted it. God has blessed me, saved me, but I don't understand it all. Thank God. Thank God. He places value on us that we'll never understand. And that brings us to the third uh, and final uh, parable here in this chapter, the prodigal son. I had to go look it up. You're probably much smarter than me. You probably already knew this. But I had to look up the prodigal. What prodigal meant? I've heard it called that my whole life. Can't tell you that I ever went to find out what prodigal meant. If you don't know, then we'll all be smarter together. It means, prodigal actually means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And the dictionary went on to put a little uh, explanation of that. It said, prodigal habits die hard. Really, I think that you could probably burn it down to selfish, right? Selfish, all about me, the prodigal son. Listen, we've all been the prodigal son in some form or fashion, some time, wanted our way, even if it was for a short time. Maybe it was for a long time. Maybe you've never not been selfish. Maybe your whole life has been all about you. If it is, you've missed out great blessings. But I can tell you that as we begin to look at the prodigal son, this young man, he was more than likely a teenage young man. He wasn't married yet. And he obviously did not want to work for his inheritance. Sound familiar? If it doesn't, go down to the local restaurant, and there will be a sign up that says, Be patient. Having trouble hiring help. It's been exacerbated by a pandemic. People don't want to work; they want whatever for free. Uh, you you can go just about anywhere. Probably in your place of work, there are people that just won't show up. Nobody knows why, and they can't give a good explanation. Just didn't feel like it. I watch it. I know you're seeing it. It's incredible here in the United States the culture shift that has become, hey, take care of me. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to have to go get it. This young man didn't want to work for his inheritance. He just wanted what was his, mine. It's all about me. And his father, as was the custom in that land, uh, the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance and the young brother a third of it. And so his father would have either had to sell property or something to cash out and to give his son his inheritance. His son would have turned it into cash, and it says not many days later, boom, he's out the door and gone, off to a foreign country. Man, he's having a good time. Let me tell you, when we play the fool and follow our own wants and desires, there is destruction ahead, guaranteed every time. It may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but I'm telling you, destruction is coming. It will destroy you. Here's what I know. He went into a foreign land. His brother let the cat out of the bag later and said he spent it with prostitutes. He was out partying. He was having a good time and blew through a third of what his father had spent a lifetime trying to put together. Blew through it in a short amount of time. Now there's a famine. And if you ever want to find out who your friends are, now's when you'll find out. And all of a sudden, he didn't have any. It says nobody gave him anything. All those people that he bought all the the drugs and the drink or the parties or whatever he was doing, whatever was fun, racing chariots through the street. I don't know what they were doing. But all of the things that he had been paying for, all those friends, not a one of them was helping him now. And you'll find that in your life when you start chasing your own things. When the rubber meets the road and the money runs out and the fun's gone, so are the friends. And that's what this young man was experiencing. Now, He's not just out of money and friends. He's homeless. And he goes to get a job, but there's a famine. There's not jobs to be had. He left the penthouse, and now he's in the outhouse. He's literally in the pig pen. And no self-respecting Jew ever hung out near a pig pen. There wasn't a much bigger no-no than for a Jew, to be around a pig pen. Listen, this young man is homeless. He's lost his inheritance. He has no friends. He has nothing. We'll find out that he doesn't even have clothes as time goes on here. I've often heard it said. I believe this is very true here. Sin will take you farther than you intend to go. It will keep you longer than you intend to stay. It'll cost you more than you can afford to pay. Sin will take you further than you intend to go every time. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you can afford to pay. You see the devil when he's leading you around. There's fences that have been put up. There's fences in our lives That as Christians, we don't go past. We don't go over. It's the reason why is because there's a safe space. God has taken care of us. But the devil will lead you over to the fence. And he'll show you that beautiful green patch on the other side. He just doesn't tell you that there's a septic tank under it. And that's why it's green. The devil will lead you wrong. He'll take you further than you ever intended to go, keep you longer than you meant to stay, and it'll cost you more than you can afford to pay. Let me tell you something. If you're out in the world, if you're following your own selfish desires this morning, God's pursuing you. Your life is more valuable than you can imagine. Jesus died for you, and he but wants to save you if you'll turn your life to him. That's where we're at, and really that's what we're talking about, the Father's forgiveness this morning. Let me tell you, God pursues us, but he will allow some horrible things to happen at times. And when we turn back to him, sometimes we carry the scars of those things. I'd like to introduce you to my cousin, Ronnie. Ronnie now, I didn't say this, but Ronnie had beautiful, curly, floppy hair. I mean, the girls like that stuff. I'd just like to get a wig put it on. <laughs> Ronnie was an amazing young man. If you met Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie was the most humble young man you've ever met. Just a sweet, sweet young man and an extremely talented basketball player. Ronnie was the point guard of his high school team. Ultimately, had a full-ride scholarship coming out of high school. His life was laid out before him. Ronnie, I'm told, could pass the ball into one of his guys. They won the state championship his senior year. He would hit the corner and he was lights out. Just could shoot the lights out. He was one of those guys you just wanted to be around. I remember Ronnie, great young man. Ronnie graduated high school on his way to his full ride scholarship and was at a party one night with his friends. Now, if you've been in Missouri and you ever get off the beaten path, there is nothing straight about any of the roads. They were old wagon roads and they blacktopped them. And that's what I grew up on and that's what Ronnie grew up on. And he was at a friend's house. They'd had a party that night, not far after graduation. And Ronnie made it to the first curve that night. He had a cute little car, little sports car. And there was a knob that spun the sunroof up. He had a sunroof in his car. Kind of cool. It was in the early 1980s. And he didn't make the curve, and he rolled his little Dodge Omni. And that little knob went through the top of his head. And I'll never forget as a young man at home getting the phone call that Ronnie He's been in a wreck, an accident. He's in a coma in the hospital, part of a large family, and we gathered in back and forth to see him, and we went a day, and he wasn't out of the coma. We went a few days, a week. Ronnie's now out of the coma. Two weeks, Ronnie's not out of a coma. The family is wore down. The greater family begins to, Ronnie never spent a minute alone. There was all kinds of prayer going up for Ronnie. He laid in a bed that rotated back and forth every seven minutes, back and forth. I remember going in to see Ronnie. They had, his, they had little dividers up between his arms and legs to keep him from falling out of the bed. So he went back and forth. And he was just laying there. We tried to talk to him. Obviously, he couldn't communicate back. My mom took her turn. And stayed with Ronnie. Ronnie, after three months, slowly, not he didn't wake up. He slowly began to come out of the coma. And slowly, they began to do physical therapy with him. And slowly, he got a little bit better. If you were to meet Ronnie today, I just spent some time with him not long ago. Ronnie has one eye he can't see out of. It runs all the time. One of his arms doesn't work. And he uses the other one with the four-poster walker. And this is how Ronnie walks. And he always smiles. But I found out a little bit more why. sat with Ronnie for a little while, just across the table. And I told him, I said, Ronnie, I'm going to use your story in a sermon soon. He was alright with that. He said, you know, Tony, and I told you already, if you had met Ronnie, he was one of the most humble, sweet young men you've ever met. He said, Tony, I was full of pride. I was so proud. And if God hadn't got a hold of me when he did, I'd have never made it. You see, God pursues us. And he pursued Ronnie like that. The question really is ask, how hard and how far will God have to pursue you? How far and hard will he have to pursue me to break down the pride, the prodigal, to bring me home? See, I want to tell you something. Ronnie, Ronnie's never held a job. My cousin Ronnie, he's never held a job. In this world's measures, Ronnie doesn't amount to a hill of beans. He's never accomplished much of anything. But he spends all of his days with his dad. His mom passed away. They lean on each other. He's a joy to his dad. No doubt. But not only that, when I talked to him the other day, I know he's going to heaven. And he's served God for the last forty years. Now he couldn't get up and speak, and he couldn't go tell a lot of people, and he couldn't he has spoke some places and done some things. But when Ronnie crosses through into heaven, he'll walk on good legs and arms and his eyes will see. And Jesus will receive him in. <laughs> And here, well done, good and faithful servant. Ronnie's done what he could do. I don't understand it. None of us do. didn't make any sense. But God knew what he was doing. Ronnie's got some scars, but his scars have led him to where he's at today. I don't know what your scars look like this morning. I don't know what God's tried to do to get your attention. Learn to praise him in it because Ronnie sat across from me with his cane with one arm not working, with his eye running and not to be able to see. And he could praise God. (laughs) I don't know if I could, but he can. God gave him the grace. I don't know what your scars are this morning. Not all scars show. But God wants to save you. He wants to take you. He wants to bring you to heaven. He died for you and you're valuable to him. The elder son, Old Mr. Reliable. <laughs> he'd never done anything wrong. He was always where he was supposed to be, when he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to do. Mr. Reliable. He was working and making plans for the future. I'll bet you that he had all the spreadsheets laid out. How to expand dad's farm when it was his. He had it all laid out. He'd never done anything wrong. He told everybody that in the story, informed his dad that he'd always done the right thing. He was at church, looked like the perfect Christian. Let me inform you, they ain't any. And the folks that look the best to you probably got the biggest problems and the biggest struggles. I know we all do. I got mine. So you can smile and try to look pretty. Let everybody know you ain't got no problems. You're lying. You do. We all do. We're in a sinful world. It's the way it is. The fact is, he wasn't the perfect Christian. He wasn't the perfect son. He wasn't Mr. Perfect at all. In fact, he was extremely critical when the rubber met the road. Extremely critical. He was angry and he was unforgiving. He wasn't about to forgive a young man that wasted a third of his debt. And he certainly didn't want him coming back in and getting any more of his. Unforgiving, he was upset that he didn't have his own party. What in the world? I want, I want a party. How come you never give me a party? And I told you I would come back to this. Long ago, the ninety-nine sheep. You understand that this young man, the older son, everything that his father had was his. He never had to pay for it. His dad was took the risk to get it built it, but it was all his. He had access to everything. He lived there in the home with his father. And he missed this, and I'm afraid often we miss this. You know, we want to celebrate the the, the ones that just get saved. And listen, we should. It's a big, big deal. But understand that every day as a Christian is a celebration. See, this young man missed the fact that the celebration was that every day he was with his father. Every day was a celebration. He brought joy to his father-in-law. I don't know if they had coffee in the mornings, maybe they ate breakfast, maybe they were together at lunch, maybe they worked together, they planned whatever it was. This young man missed the fact that every day was a celebration. It wasn't a big celebration. It was a never-ending celebration of being together as family. How often do we miss it? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you cracked your Bible open and read what the Father had to say to you? When's the last time you spent five minutes on your knees praying, crying out to God, praising Him, thanking Him, five minutes that wasn't inside church? God wants to spend a time with you alone. And this young man while having it, missed it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. The celebration is the fact that you've been saved. And the longer the years go, the closer it is that you get to go see him. The father. We look at the father. The third of the the three main characters here. You understand that the father had spent... A lifetime raising his boys. Chris, if you all would come. The father had spent his days looking after these children. He had raised them. They were his boys. Both of them had spent their life inside of his home. He had nurtured them. He had raised them. He had brought them. He would given them the best that he had to give them. Everything. He had even sacrificed to give his youngest son what he wanted. And you know what? If I, were a, if I were a wealthy Jewish father and my son had done this, I'll just tell you, I would have sent someone to keep an eye on my son. I would have had feelers out and checked on him to see what was going on with him. I would have wanted to know if I could help him uh, or if he needed help to protect him. Now, he had had to allow him to go on and do his own thing. But we just studied this last Wednesday night. God has watchers out for us, those that keep an eye on us. And I can tell you that had I been this father, and that's from the book of Tony, that is not in the Bible, okay? But had I been this Jewish father, I would have had some feelers out. I would have wanted to know what was going on with my son. And chances are he knew that the money was gone. Probably knew that his son was in the pig pen. Probably knew that. Didn't know when he was going to come home. But he was worried about him. And we see where the father was looking for the son. Every day was looking for the son. He was on the front porch. And I can only imagine what went through that father's mind that day when he looked out and saw way down the road his son coming. He wasn't recognizable, he didn't look like he did when he left. According to this, he didn't have shoes, didn't have clothes, he didn't look like what he'd left but he looked down the road and he seen that boy he recognized the walk you know your children you can tell from a long ways away he would have recognized there comes my son not just another dusty figure coming down the road that's my son and I can just only imagine as the father turned and walked back in the house and said that spoiled brat has showed up and now What are we going to do with it? That's not what he said at all. That's not what he said at all. See, if you study Jewish tradition, Jewish, rich Jewish men were never, ever seen running. They didn't run. They didn't show skin either. But today, old boy reaches down gathers up his skirt tucks it in man the old ankle popped out there's some calf and there's thigh showing yeah he, he didn't care what happened oh he took off running i mean he, get my son <laughs> my son my son he's covered in pig poop he's been in the pig pen I don't care, that's my son.